All right, and we are live. What is up, my brothers? Uh, Plain and Win episode number 66. And my guest, who is in a totally different time zone, I think last time we talked, he was in Poland, is not here. But I always start the show when the show is due to start. So I'm hoping that he uh, gets my email and uh, gets his clock set and hops in soon. Um, I'm going to cover some of the stuff that he sent me because we talked a couple weeks ago about... Uh, these new proposed taxes that are going to be threatening homeowners. And it's starting, of course, uh, in my home country of Canada, but I've seen discussions like this in other countries around the world. So um, before we get started, though, uh, do me some solids. Hit the, uh, the thumbs up, the like button. Just helps out with the algorithms. Very kind of you to participate. And um, I wanted to just recap real quick because uh, I pinned it in the live chat there. Um, my School of Entrepreneurship is currently open for enrollment. Um, I opened it up earlier this week. The enrollment period closes on uh, Friday. Sorry, not Friday, uh, Saturday on the 30th. And uh, we'll start doing the deliverables and the Zoom calls and uh answer people's questions that go through the material. So essentially what this is, and again, the link is pinned in the live chat. If you're watching the replay, I'll put it in the description and pinned in the top comment as well. But I've had a lot of people request over the years, Rich, put out more uh, content on entrepreneurship. Um, how do I start a business? I'm tired of working a job. Uh, J-O-B, by the way, is an acronym for just over broke. And they hit their heads up against a glass ceiling and they're looking to make more of themselves. They want to start a business. That's really the only way that you can do it in today's world and environment. And the other uh, side of the coin is the guys that are currently running something, but it's not profitable for them. It's not making them proper money. It's a headache. They have HR issues. They've structured the business in such a way that it's a nightmare for them. All the information I've put in these lectures, there's about four and a half hours of them. And if you guys click the link, it'll bring you through here with the landing page and tell you a little bit my, about my past, uh, a lot of the stuff that I've done. Uh, but down over here, you'll see the course curriculum. I deal with everything that you need to know when it comes to having the correct mindset around screwing your head on properly so that you start a business that is going to serve you and make you money and be fun and profitable. And ideally, if you structure it right, location independent, and it gets you away from all the nightmares that most people get themselves in. What most people don't understand is that the vast majority of people that are starting businesses up never crack more than a million dollars a year in annual sales. And they generally build something that is quite frustrating and annoying and unprofitable for them to run. They generally self-employ themselves, right? Like they create a business that employs themselves. And all they do is they move from a, a J-O-B, a job, over to something where they're essentially an employee of their own business, only with more risk exposure to legal issues, HR, tax liabilities, uh, government regulations, and all that sort of stuff. So I've put this out there. It's open for enrollment right now. You can go check it out. Um, everything's there on the landing page. The enrollment period closes again in two days on the 30th. So if it's uh, something that you're interested in, go have a look. And uh, if there's any questions, I'll, I'll deal with them live in the, the chat as we're doing the show. Um, let me throw up the um, post here that I got from David. Let me check my email, see if he's gotten back to me because he was messaging me this morning about, yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. Time zone issues, man. Time zone issues they tend to cause problems from time to time. Here it is. Uh, so if you're not familiar, I did a cast with him about, I don't know, 30 episodes back or so. 
if I got the number right. And um, David is a, uh, well, he's a trained lawyer. He doesn't practice law anymore, but that was his background. And in the last cast, we talked a lot about the importance of having multiple passports, being able to maneuver, you know, and move from country to country. One of the things that he made very clear during the last cast is that um, you don't actually own your passport. So, I mean, look, we've seen what happened in the last year, a couple of years anyway, with the beer bug and the overreach of power and control from government. It's it, it still exists today in Canada. I mean, I'm a pure blood, so I can't travel outside of the country still on uh, federal airlines. Um, I can drive across the border, so I'm going to be dealing with that a little bit. But um, yeah, it, like they have the right to say, you know what, sir, uh, Mr. Cooper, we're going to take away your passport because we don't, for whatever reason, you, they don't even have to tell you probably. Um, and you're not able to fly, you know, without a passport. So one of the arguments that David made the last time we were talking, and he used kind of like a high value client as an example. I think he said he had a, um, uh, a Kuwaiti uh, client of his that was um, trying to get funds um, or travel. It was, it, it was tied into uh, finance and it was a large sum of money that was tied up. And because the government in the country that he had resided in um, put a limitation on travel and movement of funds, um, he put himself in a pretty precarious predicament where he had pretty much like 95% of his cash locked up. Um, so he made the argument in that last cast. You guys can go back and watch that. I, I wanted to talk to David a little bit more. Hopefully he'll still show up um, if he gets the email and uh, hops in. But the thing that I wanted to hit on with this one is this uh, publication that he put out on his website at Les Barons and Associates. The title is, is Principal Residence Capital Gains Exemption Under Threat in Canada. So if you're not familiar, in most places in the world still, um, you can buy a house, live in it. When you sell it, whatever capital gains that you make off it are completely tax-free. It's, I think, probably one of the last tax-free havens with the exception of uh, a, a TFSA, which stands for Tax-Free Savings Account here in Canada, which doesn't allow you to set aside much. I think it's maximum about eighty, ninety thousand uh, $90,000 to this um, at the time of this recording right now, but they add an extra like five grand a year to it sort of thing. Um, there's no real tax-free savings ve vessels. And for the most part, most people that retire here in Canada aren't retiring on um, their pensions or any uh, retirement savings plans that they've set aside. It's generally the value, the appreciated value in their home. And uh, he uses an example in here, which I think is fairly accurate. So I'm just going to kind of go through this and I'll read it out to you. Um, at present, uh, sorry, at present, your primary residence may secure you a comfortable retirement for Canadian taxpayers. And again, this is not limited to Canada. I mean, if you listen closely to what your legislators and policymakers talk about in Parliament when it comes to raising tax revenue or creating tax revenue for the country, um, if you've been asleep the last couple of years, uh, let me remind you that the money supply in the United States has doubled in the course of two years over its entire lifetime. Okay, so they printed more money than any other time in history for 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 stimulus to send out checks to uh, people, you know, when they took away their jobs and shut down businesses and they had to give the money to pay uh, rent. Um, there was a lot, a ton of money that was printed in the last couple of years and you can't print money and create debt without paying for it. 
and they generally pay um, for you know revenue that needs to generate to spend on you know keeping people home as an example like the beer bug if there's a pandemic I use that term loosely obviously um, or if they have to uh, you know stimulate the economy uh, economy with infrastructure and stuff like that. So they have to create tax revenue. And one of the best places they haven't tapped into yet that would generate a ton of tax revenue for them is taxing capital gains on a principal residence, which they don't do right now. Anyway, so let me read this to you again. Um, Can you taxpayers, the primary residence is their single largest asset with recent price explosions. It is now an asset with a large amount of unrealized capital gains appreciation. As of 2022, the average Canadian household net worth is nearing 1 million of the capital gains from any potential sale. For the Canadian government, the inability to tax principal resident gains, therefore, it means millions of lost potential tax revenue. They already tax us everywhere, everywhere. You know, you buy gas, you uh, pay yourself, you take an income from an employer, um, you buy any goods or service, you're paying taxes on it. You're paying taxes um, when you invest money outside of your retirement savings. Everything you do, they bend you over and they tax you with the exception of your principal residence, which values, by the way, have exploded over the last few years in Canada. Uh, to give you an example, um, I bought my house, this one here, um, 2011 or so, so around 10 years now, and it's more than doubled in value. I'd probably say, yeah, it's, it's definitely more than doubled in value, um, which there's a rate of return that you're not going to get anywhere else with the exception of um, if you're an early adopter of something like Bitcoin, you know, for example. Uh, in upcoming budget proposals, the Canadian government will be looking for ways to make up for the financial deficits that they have experienced over the past few years, largely coming from the COVID-19 pandemic. One way they could potentially propose to help ease this debt is to fully or partially void PRCGE, I'm assuming stands for Principal Residence Capital Gains Exemption. Okay. Um, the only reason that the PRCGE has not already been attacked is a fear of voter reaction. However, uh, and you know, by the way, the, the, the federal government currently has a majority uh, stake in voting rights right now in Canadian Parliament because they've partnered with the Socialist Party, the NDP. So Tr Trudeau's Liberals partnered with the Socialist Party to basically push any legislation through. Um, and of course, you know, the Socialist Party's entire mantra is tax the rich. And they're going to say what they'll what they'll probably do if I were to um, take a, a guess at this so they don't lose the confidence and the votes of the um, less wealthy Canadian voters is they'll probably draw a line in the sand somewhere where they feel like it's only the wealthy that'll be affected or mostly affected or they'll help have some sliding scale system where if the house is worth over two or three million, then you pay 50%. If it's under two million, then it's 25%. If it's under a million, then it's 12% or something like that. That's what I suspect they would do to sort of hold their position. But either way, like you tax a million dollars at 12%, that's $120,000. That's not chump change. There's a sh fucking shit ton of cash for most people that they should have in their pockets, not stolen from them. Anyway, the only reason why um, this has not already been attacked is fear of voter reaction. However, uh, demographics are changing. This calculation, many younger voters are currently not able to get into the housing market due to the recent extreme rise in housing prices. They have very little sympathy uh, for those that would have to pay taxes on the astronomic price increase of their home, limiting or eliminating the uh, principal residence capital gains exemption. 
also affects fewer voters on day-to-day basis in contrast, raising the HST, by the way, is the harmonized sales tax, which is 13% whenever you buy anything. If you buy a what they quote as a luxury vehicle now in Canada, by the way, uh, which could mean, I don't know, you have a horse farmer, you're a contractor, and you need a diesel dually or something like that, that might cost you 120, 150 grand, depending on how you spec it. That's now considered a luxury vehicle. Anything you buy over $100,000 in Canada now is now subject to a much higher tax rate um, after 100 grand. So there's a lot of guys actually in the last um, year before that um, law, sorry, before that became law January 1st of this year that were rushing to make sure that they got their um, vehicles purchased and any, you know, expensive uh, toys, if you will. Anyway, um, what would that mean if the principal residence capital gain exemption was eliminated? So Canadian homeowners could be paying up to 50%. Combined federal and provincial rates on their capital gains from the sale of the primary residence. For example, let's say a home was purchased for 100 grand 20 years ago, which is completely like average price for most people, even in Toronto, would have been paying 100 grand for a detached family residence with a white picket fence. That's all you really needed, probably somewhere between 100 and 150,000. I remember my parents bought a house. Um, in a suburb when I was in grade eight for 220,000. And that was considered a mansion at the time. It was like considered expensive. Um, those houses are now worth easily three to three and a half million dollars um, in that neighborhood. Um, so that's how much residential home prices have moved um, here anyway. I know in a lot of parts of the world, world they're moving a lot as well, but you get the idea. Anyway, today that home sells for 1.1 million. This results in $1 million in capital gains. With a principal residence capital gains exemption, the homeowner will net $1.1 million for their retirement. Uh, the Sorry, if the principal residence capital gains exemption was eliminated, this would cut their net proceeds to $600,000. Canadians can find out. I guess there's a, a calculator here that he's inserted. Um, will principal residence capital gains exemption under threat? Is it time to take action? So let's see what his advice is here because he's got three... Um, I love his. Um, I love the way that he breaks down these um, options. Um, he's a very dude, Dave. Where are you, man? Let me check my emails again. Um, is he coming or what? Because he's so eloquent in the way that he breaks these down. No. Okay, let's throw this back up. So, um, with principal with principal residence, let me just move this over a little bit. Try to make it a tiny bit bigger. And let's fill it up here. Boom. Oh, you should be able to see it better. Okay. Uh, is it time to take action? Skeptics may think that imminent elimination of the principal residence capital gains exception is unlikely given the inevitable uproar from older voters. I would agree. Uh, nevertheless, even if one puts the odds at this outcome at 25%, prudence would dictate that an outcome worth preparing to avoid, especially if a strategy avoids the impact of eliminating the principal residence capital gains exemption. 25% still a quarter million dollars. In previous blog posts, I describe reacting to potential financial and other threats to your family wealth and well-being in the same way that you would act if living in a wildfire zone, namely that you would engage in fire prevention, acquire fire insurance, and map out a fire escape plan in case you perceive the threat to be imminent, leaving yourself unprepared in a situation like this may lead to detrimental financial repercussions. Acting preemptively before the fire reaches you will save your fiscal house from suffering. So let's see what his advice is here. 
so this is a strategy. Uh, he's got three steps here. He's got fire prevention. We've got this giant ass, uh, looks like field fire is an il il illustration. So fire prevention. In this situation, fire prevention will simply mean selling your primary residence sooner rather than later. Because of the current state of the Canadian housing market, you'll net a significant sum for retirement. Those proceeds can then be applied to renting in Canada. Alternatively, you might institute a fire escape plan and retire abroad to avoid other inevitable Canadian taxes. In the chat, guys, if you live in a country somewhere where they're starting to talk about this stuff as well, let me know. I'm, 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 I'm really curious. Uh, step two is fire insurance. Fire insurance is having a second citizenship. Oh, here we go. Dave, you're here. Sorry, I had a little uh, Ukrainian crisis. Was it a time zone thing or... Uh, no, no. I had a client who's, uh, just escaped from, uh, from the Ukraine that I mm. was dealing with. Her. So I started so to go I through your, um, uh, let me, why isn't it added to screen here? There we go. I started to go through your blog article and I got to, um, fire prevention and fire insurance as right. remedies to this problem. So we've already talked about the problem, um, why it exists and why they're trying to implement it. Um, maybe I'll let you take over since you're the expert and you wanted to cover this co topic and you wrote the blog anyway, but, um, sure. so step two, as far as a remedy with fire insurance, can you explain that to the viewers? Sure. So depending on what jurisdiction we're talking about. So if we're in Canada, you simply need to become a non-resident, which means that you need to be able to live somewhere else. If you're in the, in the U S you need to, because they have citizenship based taxation, you need to have another citizenship in place, um, which you may have because you moved to the United States and naturalized, so you have the citizenship of your birth, or you may have the citizenship because you had a, a foreign parent, or you may have moved to another country and become naturalized there, or a lineage, or a citizenship by investment. So you need to have another citizenship in order to give up your American. Um, Australia, for example, is becoming non-resident in Australia is a bit more of a sticky wicket than, for example, Canada, in that you it's best that you move to a tax treaty jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So buying a citizenship in a place which doesn't have a tax treaty with Australia isn't particularly helpful if you clearly want to leave there. So you have to look at what are the rules in order to escape the fire of your current taxing jurisdiction? And do I need simply another residence? Do I need residence in a jurisdiction with a tax treaty, or do I need another citizenship also? Are you suggesting that you can retain that residence in Canada, but um, abandon your citizenship and not pay the capital gains tax if you're not a citizen? No. So Canada tax is based on residence. If you sojourn, spend 183 days in Canada, mm. or if you have centralized your mode of living in Canada. So giving up your Canadian... So if you're a permanent resident or work permit holder, or even a visitor who spends too much time in Canada, you're going to become tax resident. <clears throat> so in order to cease to become tax resident, you need to, to move and you need to get rid of certain ties in Canada. Okay, like, so, so, you have you to, should... so then you have to dispense of the asset. You have to sell the house. <clears throat> Correct. So, so okay. when you leave... Canada, it's as if you die to the Canadian tax system. So it's a mm -hmm. deemed disposition for capital gains purposes. And the the point I was making in a in uh, the 
blog was right now, a lot of Canadians have a lot of their wealth in their principal residence. Of course, they have an exemption from capital gains on that, which they would also have when they became non-resident. They may also have small business exemptions, etc. But what happens if in the future they limit or they completely get rid of the capital gains exemption on principal residence? And you can say, well, that would be political suicide. And sure, if your voters were only boomers, but if you have gen, uh, if you have millennials who say well, the housing market is is way out of, I can't afford to even rent, hardly own, mm-hmm. but I can vote, so I don't really care that, you know, the 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 boomers have to pay capital gain on this house that they bought for a hundred thousand, which is now worth two million. Mm, got it. Um, I was speculating on this earlier before you came on, but are there other other countries that are currently talking about taxing capital gains at the rate that Trudeau is in Canada? It's there is a a a, a push and a pull. Countries tend to try to tax what I call their native golden geese. So Canadian, the Canadian government tries to tax Canadians who have born, raised here, and who have life inertia in Canada much more than they try to, uh, try to tax foreigners who they are trying to attract to their shores. Mm-hmm. And this is true in a lot of jurisdictions. So you can abuse your, golden, your native golden geese because they're much less, they, they'll take a lot more abuse before they'll fly away. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you want to attract the foreign golden geese, you have to make it more attractive than the jurisdiction that they're in so far. So if we look at, for example, all the controversy that's going on right now in the UK, that they, with regards to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which would be the equivalent in Canada of the finance minister, um, his wife is something called a non-dom. Well, the UK is why do all these Russians and Greeks and Saudis and wealthy Indians live in, in the UK? Well, because they only get taxed on UK source income if they're not from there. So they have a regime which has been around for a century and a half to attract wealthy foreigners. That's why they're all there. Well, now the it looks like, you know, there's a great chance that that system may may be thrown kind of under the bus. Um, And one of the problems is that if it does, um, you know, where do these people go to next? Got well, it. Okay. Get a backup plan. Get fire insurance and get a, a you know, a, a fire escape plan. So let's talk about the fire escape plan because that's step three in your article. And by the way, for those of you guys watching, um, I dropped David's um, article in the live chat so you can find it and, and read it there later if you want. Right. So a fire escape plan is depending on your jurisdiction, it'll show what's involved. So if we look at Canada, it's preparing for that deemed disposition. So one of the things I speculated, I, I, I thought people should think about is if you are worried that in the future, you're going to have to pay capital gains, some or all capital gains in your principal residence, maybe you should think about selling that now while you have that exemption so that you know your sale price gross equals net. Mm-hmm. as opposed to having, you know, only the net proceeds after capital gains. You can then either decide I'm going to move now 
or you can say I'm going to start renting or I'm going to put things into capital gain, much more efficient capital gain um, vehicles. So I'm going to put it into shares which are going to grow as opposed to, to paying dividends. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's a fire escape plan is let's look at your asset by asset, how that's going to be impacted by the departure tax in Canada, as we call it. Mm-hmm. Also, what do I do um, in kind of, uh, I'm just going to, um, what am I going to do with regards to lifestyle things? So this is the point where you start to kind of declutter your life. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the big things that Canadians always go on about is, oh, we have free health care. You don't have free health care. You pay a premium every April 30th for that health care. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. And health care is a commodity that you can go and buy in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And when you compare the, the, the premium for that health care. So, for example, I live in Poland. Um, the top income tax rate in Poland, and there's no kind of provincial uh, um, version, is 19%. And they're dropping that down. They're looking at dropping that down to six percent. Mm-hmm. Why? Poland also has a twenty-three percent VAT tax. Mm-hmm. But if I don't spend that money, I don't pay the VAT. They also have very high excise taxes on everything from alcohol to certain commodities, etc. So I've organized my life so that I don't pay a lot of VAT, and I've organized my life so I don't have a lot of taxable income that's even subject to the 19%. Mm -hmm. For that, there is the equivalent of kind of national healthcare service or Canadian Medicare, whatever we want to call it, Canadian Canadian version. Mm -hmm. In addition, there's also private healthcare coverage, which is not only kind of pretty good, it's actually world-class because they also have a large medical tourism industry here. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I had twins. Those are high-risk uh, births. And in the, the specialist OB-GYN that we had, sitting in there were Russians, Saudis, Americans, Brits, because they would all come to this top clinician and clinic. So for my family, just to give you, so there's myself, my wife, and two eight-year-old twins. And we pay in, so we have a gold-plated medical um coverage and so that's 800 zloty a month divide by four for the u.s dollar so for 200 bucks that includes dental cosmetic surgery everything so you're covered Uh, from head to toe head to toe four people in our family 200 u.s a month Mm, got it so compare that to what you sent to revenue canada last april yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's very expensive and it's a shitty system. I mean, I, I I have an email on my list that talks about how they really messed up uh, the beer bug treatment with a completely unnecessary and toxic drug called remdesivir. So if you're on my email list, you can mm-hmm. read about that there. If you want to know how to get on my email list, it's it's pinned in the top of all my videos. You can find it. Um, <clears throat> so, okay, so how far off is this new law from? Or sorry. How far off, you know, is this new bill from becoming law and getting royal assent? Like, is this something that they're starting to vote on? Is this something that they're building? Like, what do we like? Do I have two years to sell my house or six months? <laughs> well, well, the first. So this is the thin edge of the wedge. So what what uh, Christopher Freeland has proposed in the last budget 
Oh, this is Freeland's idea, is it? Yes. So, um, so Christian Freeland put in into the last budget the first kind of time that this whole long sacred principal mm -hmm. residence exemption and said, well, now we're going to put a restriction because we want to avoid the flippers. Mm -hmm. So you have to, in order to get the principal residence exemption, have held onto the property for at least a year. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we'll consider that trading. Otherwise, that's considered ordinary income rates. Mm -hmm. Well, that's quite a quite a change. So if your business is buy, renovate, and flip, you've been enjoying, if you've been doing a principal residence, principal residence, you've done quite well. Mm -hmm. That's being attacked. Now that, you know, the camel's got its nose in the tent, my question is how long before you have the whole camel in the tent, which is, okay, well, the next, we need more money again. So we've already done that. Okay, so let's let's go after this a bit more. We've done some polling, and you know the the youth vote we can get by saying, "Oh, these prices have gone through the roof." You know, people shouldn't get complete capital gains exemption; on, they should maybe get half of it, or we'll cap it as you know, all oh, these really wealthy urban urbanites. We're going to cap it at a million, or five hundred thousand, or two hundred thousand. The problem with the definition of we're only doing the rich is the definition of rich constantly changes depending upon the perspective of your voters. Yeah. I mean, I talked about it before you came on, but I think it's going to be introduced as a sliding scale because the only way they're going to push this through is, is, is with the support of the NDP government, which is a socialist government, and they want the votes of the people that are you know lower income earners. So they're not going to apply a 50% tax rate. I don't think anyway on, um, you know, like a value of 250,000, for example, there's not many houses that would sell for that around here anyway. But I think that, that what they'll probably do is they'll have the highest tax rate on like 2 million up, maybe 3 million, 3 million up then slide it down to 25% and maybe a million. And then under a million, 500,000, a million, it might be something like 12%. Um, but it's certainly something that they've been talking about for the last couple of years that I've heard about anyway. So when you emailed me on it with the article, I was, I was definitely interested immediately, but um, I know how long it takes for them to propose a bill, get it approved, go through Royal assent, and then it become law. So, because when I did the bill 55 lobbying back in, I think it was 2011, 2012, it didn't become law until 2015. So it may take a few years for this to go through, but I think the problem is going to be is, once enough people realize that it's going to go through, the market's going to get flooded with home sales, which is going to lower the prices. Correct. And the, the other thing that you have to remember is we now, you know, again, I'm not in his mind, but I'm thinking that Justin Trudeau doesn't, is not eager to go back to the polls again. He thought he had a moment that he I think he's good until 2024, 2025. And, yeah. And, and he didn't. So, um, he's going to have to keep that coalition going. And they can always say, you know, this capital gains you know, shrinking exemption. Yeah, but it's better than the wealth tax. Mm -hmm. It's better than that wealth tax. And so that's, you know, the thing that they, they, they keep looking at, you know, oh, yeah, I mean, we would never have thought of this before. But, you know, it's COVID and stuff, and it's better than the wealth tax. And that's the way they'll sell it. And they'll also sell it as a generational thing. Mm -hmm. Um because, you know, there are young voters now who just can't even think about getting into the market because the entry point is is, is so high. Mm -hmm. So they don't really, you know, 
care that you know the the the, the people in houses that they could never even rent um, are going to have to pay some capital gain on what they think is a a windfall. Let me um, let me just go to the chat here and grab some of the super chats and comments. Somebody mentioned BlackRock. I don't know if you're familiar, but apparently BlackRock's buying up a ton of real estate in the U.S. Yes. Um, single house um, residences. How is that going to affect the housing market in the U.S. with uh, stock? What, is, what are they what doing that, with the houses that they're buying? So they're buying the houses and turning them around as rental properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an asset class that, that they're looking at because there's a solid underpinning of an asset there. So if you think back to your asset-backed securities, it, it turns it around and it's good for, for securities, but they actually own the houses as opposed to you know the, the, the famous Jenga of uh, uh, structured uh, prior to 2008. Um, they are also riding the wave of huge inflation in the rental market. So you've got an asset which you can buy, you can turn around, you can rent at a, at a higher uh, value, it's got a great return on it, and you can turn around and leverage that and you've got a security which is asset backed with a very steady stream of of income. So that's why I'm told also that when they're buying these single family residences that they're overbidding on them. Um, I've heard as much as 25 to 50% more than market value. Is that, is that correct? Sure. They're, they're absolutely driving. If you look at places like Florida, uh, the, 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 the amounts and, and urban centers, um, and they're now starting to move into secondary markets. Uh, I had a client of mine whose family, had built up about a $50 million portfolio of uh, basically residential real estate. They mm-hmm. had a bunch of tenants and uh, and things, and this was the family business. Uh, dad passed away. Son got the business and was very good at it. Uh, wife got sick, and uh, it was BlackRock came in, mm-hmm. and they, uh, they offered him, uh, I think he said it was something like 15 times EBITDA, uh, and you know, so he said, "Sure." And is it, and and they also have the economy of scale of being able to deal with, um, you know, huge volumes uh, mm. of construction. Now, what that means for the tenants, of course, is that you can't call up, you know, Mister or Mrs. Jones, who you had a personal relationship before. Now you've got a number of one eight hundred. I want to complain to back BlackRock, and so got it. Let me um let me grab some of these super chats here. Uh, Chris just says uh, grateful for the cast. Thank you, brother. Uh, Tom says uh, this whole "you will own nothing and be happy" BS is happening everywhere. Soon, everyone everywhere will become renters. That's um, I think that sound by "you will own nothing and be happy" was uh, Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum. I'm not sure if you heard about this guy and and the WEF and his connection to several of the world leaders, including. Uh, Trudeau, Macron, and uh, the Australian and New Zealand fellows. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. But I mean, you will own nothing and be happy. BS. Okay, well, that's what you want to do. You know. Well, that's my friend. Well, that's what they're trying to sell sell the world now. You know, as globalists, is you don't yeah. need sh- stuff to be happy. I remember about ten or twelve years ago, I was at a mastermind conference, and one of the thoughts that they were kind of like tossing around at the time was. Um, in the future, you'll own nothing and have access to everything. And that pretty much became true. Like you didn't need a car. You could just call Uber on your app. You didn't need a house. You could just do an Airbnb rental, right? So the the theme and theory around that 
you know, becoming something and developing to something actually, you know, became true. But now um, this Klaus Schwab guy is like, turn that around. And it sounds like, you know, BlackRock is playing a part in this, grabbing up a lot of single family residences. But there's a lot of people that are um, that are getting frustrated with, um, you know, what's going on and what they're starting to see when they, um, you know, pay attention to some of these lyrics that these globalists start to sing. Um, Ernesto says, sounds like they're changing the rules for foreign investors and homes in Canada. Uh, how would that affect these tax exit strategies? Do you have any thoughts on that, David? Yeah, well, that was, uh, Ernesto, that was the inspiration. Seeing that in that budget was the inspiration for that blog, which is, okay, we've now seen for the first time uh, a Canadian politician who has gone after and limited the principal residence exemption. And so if we think, anticipate the predictable, they're going to, oh, that didn't go, that wasn't, uh, didn't cost us very many points in the, in the, uh, in the polls. Let's keep going after that. Let's keep going after that. And we'll paint it in a way that it's the, the others right now, the others are foreign investors driving up your home prices. Mm -hmm. Soon it will be the, you know, the greedy boomers, um, who, you know, road an extraordinary increase in that particular asset class of, of residential real estate. And, you know, it's one of the things, you know, what you own. Um, I grew up uh, in a, in an auto family uh, and, and uh, Rich, I wasn't driving the nice cars you had. We had the company cars that my father at GM would bring home and things. But uh, one of the things I, I learned very quickly is he he could buy he was buying and selling cars they were entitled to him mm -hmm. and he would sell them before the one year mark because of the depreciation mm -hmm. so you know there's a difference when you're buying an asset that may appreciate in value if you buy a collectible versus you know your standard you know off the line car which is going to depreciate so the problem with resident with with residences are it it ties you to a particular location it increases your life inertia mm -hmm. it makes you less nimble it, it has been a great way of increasing the your 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 wealth it has a benefit over a t-bill and that you can't sleep in a t-bill mm -hmm. um there has always been a fairly liquid market for homes um you know it wasn't as easy as going on and saying you know sell Microsoft by Apple, but you know, the, with the speed of, 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 uh, of home sales, it was fairly liquid and it had this huge ex advantage of capital gain exemption. Well, if you've taken away that capital gain exemption, holding that particular asset, you still need a place to, to sleep. Um, but the advantage of, you know, and if the market is really depressed because they've taken away the capital gains exemption, so nobody, you know, the prices are, are, are naturally going to drop, then you're kind of stuck. Is there a capital um, gains exemption in the U.S., by the way? On it's limited. It's on limited to 500 because you also, in the, in the U.S., you're able to write off your mortgage interest. So it's limited to 500000 in capital gains, and then after that, you're paying taxes. Correct. What's the tax rate? Combined, well, the top tax top tax federal tax rate is 23.8%. It's 20% capital gain and there's a 3.8% um, uh, Obama surcharge, but they always charge it. So, mm -hmm. so it's kind of like, you know, 
HST, you, you got to pay it. So, mm. um, and then you have whatever state you're in, there may also be capital gains. So if you're in Florida there, or Texas, there's no state tax. Mm -hmm. If you're in a high state tax jurisdiction like New York or California, now you're, now you're, you know, starting to crank on another 10 to 13% on top of that. Got it. Got it. Um, JRR is here in the chat saying David's great and provides a variety of options. Thanks Rich for having him on again. Yeah. If you didn't see the last one that we did, um, just search for uh, David Lesperance on my channel and um, it'll pop up. You should watch it. We talked at length about um, passports and I wanted to kind of switch gears now because um, I've only got about 20 more minutes and have you talk a little bit about the importance of, um, I don't know how to even, you know, define it, like the freedom, the ability to maneuver. Um, you know, one of the points that you made last time, which really stuck out for me is that you don't own your passport and and your government has a right at any time if they wish to take it away from you and prevent your uh, travel. Um, I mean, they kind of did that in Canada anyway, um, you know, with the social credit system that they implemented with vaccination, because if you're not vaccinated, you can't travel. So it's like your passport's kind of useless to fly out of Canada if you don't have proof of vaccination. So can you talk a little bit more about um, passports, um, the importance of having multiple passports, who should consider having multiple passports, perhaps what countries are ideal to acquire a passport in so that you have, um, you know, you have a backup plan to your backup plan sort of thing. Sure. And, and I actually did a, a, a another blog recently called here today, gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I took, for example, if you were a Russian, um, you know, you, you could travel around fairly, fairly easily, get residences and citizenships and things. And all of a sudden, Putin made your Russian passport a pariah. Mm. Um, what's going to happen when MBS, you know, the king of Saudi Arabia is going to die in the next year or so. MBS is a young guy. He's going to be around for 50 years. Uh, is he going to engage in activities for which the world will view a, him as a pariah? Um, so you've got that sovereign risk that they will do that. You've also got the sovereign risk against individuals. You don't want to be wealthy in China these days uh, because we've got the second Chinese curse. Maybe come to the attention of the emperor, Jack Ma, and many others. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you've got that. You've also, so your, your passport, correct. If you look at any passport from any country in, in the inside, it'll say this is the property of Canada, US, Australia, wherever. Mm -hmm. um, so your passport is the document that the government has issued you up to the moment where they haven't, where they, where they take that away. So if they want to restrict your travel for whatever reason, because they think that you are a pandemic risk, because they are personally going after you, because they want your assets. Because they don't um, like what you say on the internet. They don't like what you say on the internet, yeah. whatever. If you've only got that one document, you're, you're, you're kind of got all your eggs in that one basket. So that's, mm -hmm one thing you're doing the other is and that's and you want to get fire insurance of alternatives to that the other thing and i think i i, I told the story uh, rich in, in our last conversation and i always have to premise it that my siblings and i didn't go out nightclubbing looking for europeans to marry but as it turned out my sister married a latvian my brother married an italian i married a pole my sister married an irishman and all of my nieces and nephews have have done everything from 
study to gap years to work and i've got a, a nephew that's at trinity college in dublin right now mm-hmm. i got a niece that's been in brussels for about eight years so it's also gives you a great amount of opportunity and mobility so if you only had a canadian passport and you had for example and a lot of north americans canadians and americans before thought well um I, if I want to go somewhere, I saw something in Connas Traveler. I want to go there. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, the Australians are making me, you know, pay seventy dollars for for a uh, a visa. Yeah, but it's an online kind of airport tax. But all of a sudden, you couldn't travel, and you had some restrictions, and that was a big surprise to a lot of North Americans. Whereas for many parts of the world, they realized, hey, I'm I'm from India. I'm from you know, various countries, I can't easily travel. I have no guarantee I'm going to be able to get a visa to go to this place. And the reason I need a visa was I would, you know, I came out of my mother's womb in this jurisdiction or I had mm-hmm. this this parentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas North Americans, we never really had that. I had a, a little taste of this back during the SARS episode. I happened to travel to Belize on some business. And um, uh, if you can remember, that was... Uh, uh, the time when Toronto was noted as a bit of a hotbed. And I flew into Belize through Miami. Uh, so they didn't know I started in Toronto. And they looked at my Canadian passport. And all of a sudden, you know, I was waiting for the guys in the hazmat suits to come out <laughs> and surround me. And they, they go, Toronto, are you from Toronto? And and I happened by complete fluke to have renewed my passport in Windsor. Mm-hmm. Go, oh, no, no, no. I live in Windsor. I go, okay. And I thought that was one of the first times as a Canadian where I thought, oh, my God, having a Canadian passport is is a potential issue. And Mm -hmm. so I had a flash of what it was like for a great part of the world to be able to make sure that you had that because the rights and freedoms you have today can be gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So um, which countries are ideal to look at? to acquire a second or like how many passports do you want? Two, three, like what's like in your view? So, you know, it's always kind of up for speculation as to what are the, what's the best combination of passports to have. Um, For an Irish passport is excellent because not only do you have access to the 27 countries of the EU Mm -hmm. under the treaty of Rome, you also have access to the UK even after Brexit, because of something called the Common Travel uh, Agreement, which was what came into place when they formed the Republic of Ireland. So Irish have access to the UK. UK have access to Irish. Portuguese, for example, have access to Ireland, but they don't have access to to the UK. So Ireland, great is that a, Is that a relatively easy passport to get? Two ways. If you happen to have the right lineage, um, you can apply for it. If you so basically, if you have a parent or grandparent mm-hmm. who was born in Ireland, you can mm-hmm. get it from lineage. If you have somebody a little further beyond, you can apply and get a residence permit in Ireland, uh, and you can have you can apply to have a shorter than the normal five year naturalization period uh, by saying you have Irish associations, and that's generally about three years. And or you can qualify for a residence permit either under a residence by investment program, which is a million um, euros, or there are some family offices or skilled workers mm-hmm. get that, wait the five years and become naturalized there. So Ireland, Canada is actually 
pretty good if you don't live in Canada because we don't have citizenship-based taxation. Uh, we don't have mandatory military service. And we have preferred access to the U.S. under what we used to call NAFTA, but now we have to call Kuzma. Uh, and the last one would be New Zealand because it has access not only to New Zealand, but also to Australia. No military service, no taxation based on citizenship. Um, I know and, there's a lot of people listening to this right now going, why would I want to have a passport from New Zealand or Australia, given how they treated people there the last couple of years and locked them right down? Like they, I think they probably had the most uh, restrictive policies when it came to this beer bug pandemic. Sure. So, but what, what it does is that's, that's one what you want is a variety of options, which you'll use in different situations. Mm -hmm. In some cases, that New Zealand passport is uh, not going to be helpful. In some cases, you'll, you'll pull out the Irish passport. Mm -hmm. In some cases, you'll want to pull out the Canadian passport. In some cases, you'll want to pull out you know, the, the New Zealand passport. So you're getting yourself a variety. It's optionality that you're looking at. So and you're basically becoming James Bond and having your three, four well, passport options, quite... depending on how you want to travel. Yeah. I had one client that we actually got, <laughs> had eight citizenships for. He would have had nine, but he gave up his U.S. citizenship. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful being his lawyer. Um, but, you know, he had gone well beyond you know, what was, you know, hedging his bets to taking mm -hmm. it on as a hobby. I mean, but if you were, if you're to look at kind of a couple of different ones, um, you want to get into ones that give you the rights to live in multiple jurisdictions. So New Zealand also has access to Australia. And the reason I chose New Zealand versus Australia is because of the, the, the tax rules are, if you're going to go actually live in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. um, they are, are much more favorable than Australia. Um, but it gives you access to Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you put together and the, the key is what's, what fits the person's budget? What are their family needs? It's also got to be something that you can sell at the breakfast table. Um, mm -hmm. my first mentor, brilliant tax lawyer, but you know, as many of us lawyers has had a bit of Asperger's and didn't really understand kind of, and he put together these plans that require people to live on a rock in the middle of the ocean. And I go, you know, nobody's ever going to actually do this. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things is it has to be a balance between what fits for that person, fits their budget, fits their timelines, meets their concerns, meets their needs, meets their preferences. Um, and so while there's, a lot of commonality each one is kind of you know fit to measure at the end of the day what what uh, percentage of the population do you think actually takes these measures to allow the flexibility and freedom uh you know to travel to live and move around the world like is it less than one percent of people that do this depends depends on the jurisdiction so <clears throat> if you're in a place like uh, hong kong or china Mm -hmm. you're going to have 60 or 70% of the people will have some alternative residence or citizenship because they've been thinking about it for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when you're looking at, at North Americans, Americans and Canadians, they're, they're much earlier in the adoption phase. So they're, and they're, which means that they're also lower on the, on the, 
the learning curve on kind of what's involved in, in, in getting all these things. So they're much more susceptible to what I call the, the, the citizenship by investment salespeople. Now I'm going to, I'm, you know, made a whole bunch of money in crypto. I'm going to listen to Katie, the Russian and get citizenship in Dominica and mm-hmm. okay, I've got citizenship in Dominica. It's done nothing for you tax wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just did an analysis, uh, on Satoshi Island, which is this island in Vanuatu that's supposedly coming out with NFTs and that you're supposed to rush there and, and buy them if you're into crypto and kind of, okay, let's ask some basic questions about it. Um, so, you know, and, and I, so I, I just wrote a blog called you know, Satoshi Island uh, is this blockchain's new fire festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's you getting yourself learning, learning about these things uh so that you're an informed consumer and you can also tell the difference between kind of somebody who really knows what they're talking about and and again i work with a team um so while my particular expertise is getting and getting rid of resident citizenships and domiciles i know how that impacts taxation i know how it impacts lifestyle i know how it impacts family law for example People always focus on taxes. Taxes are a percentage of income. Divorce is a percentage of capital. And so people would rush to the UK because there's a tax haven and then discover, oh my God, it's a a divorce capital. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And half of my stuff is is gone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to look at all of these kind of issues and again, come up with a plan which you can, which makes sense financially but that you can also sell at the breakfast table, you know, if there's other family members that are involved. Um, and it fits the timetable of the people. I mean, of course, you know, you're going to be doing, having different concerns when you've got young children versus when those children are heading out the door for college or, or adulthood, um, et cetera. So where are you in, in, can, do you need to be in a specific location to make and maintain your wealth? Mm -hmm. Uh, Have you got the ability to, you know, if you're uh, investing, um, you know, you may, you'll have more options. If you're a landlord of residential properties, well, you better make sure that you have access to be able to go and check on those properties. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're, you know, investing in, in public or private markets, you don't need to be in physical proximity to those assets. Gotcha. Um, all right, guys, I got to start to wrap up. So, um, if you're interested in any of the stuff that David's been talking about, you should reach out to him. His website is lesperanceassociates.com. Um, and he's the kind of guy that can help you build a passport portfolio that will give you the freedom to travel and reside where you please. Um, who's the ideal client for you? Like, is there a certain net worth that you need? Um, it, it depends. So I have everything from, um, young professionals who are kind of, you know, digital mobiles, but they also have the ability of, they don't have a lot of life inertia. They don't have a house and a spouse and a dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're much more flexible and they've got, got time periods. Um, all the way to um, people, you know, business owners. I have a particular um, 
developed a particular expertise with regards to people in the crypto ecosystem, okay. everything from uh, early adopters to um, miners to exchange founders to you know people who are engaging in, in DeFi, uh, looking at NFTs, uh, those types of things. Um, it's just I, I've gotten very good at you know how different jurisdictions t- treat that from a, a, a tax point of view and so everything from satoshi island the place to go to puerto rico el salvador mm-hmm. berlin is an african country now that's made it uh, legal tender i can't remember which yeah one. central uh, uh central african republic yeah so um yeah um reach out and find david if uh you need some uh proper guidance on this and he can help you facilitate whatever it is that you're trying to structure again um if you guys are so Another part of this cast, which I kind of hit on at the very beginning, is um, the kind of people that move around that have multiple passports that, that, that figure out how to minimize their tax obligations to centralized governments uh, are generally entrepreneurs, right? So they run and own their own business. And my course, yes. the School of Entrepreneurship, is currently open for enrollment. The link to join is pinned at the top of the live chat. It's also going to be in the description and pinned at the um, top comment. Today's April 28th. The course is only open for enrollment until the 30th. It's offered at 997. And what it does is it explains to you what the best and most successful entrepreneurs do to structure their businesses. So it's easy, lucrative, and fun for them to operate because the vast majority of people that start businesses, and I'm sure Dave, you've dealt with a lot of guys like this, they structure them in such a way where they're hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. There's not a lot of profit. They've got all kinds of issues. They've got tax issues. They just don't run it right. And you really have to take into consideration if you're going to lean into entrepreneurship as a starter or if you're currently running something that's not working for you, what the best are doing. And I've collected all that information. I've sanitized it and distilled it in this course. You can go check it out. Again, the enrollment closes in two days. So if this is something that interests you, check it out, guys. David, any closing thoughts before we run? Yeah, just on on that. Part of that fire escape plan is when you're looking at the types of businesses and the types of things you're talking about uh rich on on setting up and running your businesses Mm -hmm. have a view to you know future doing this in in different locations Mm -hmm. and what is going to be the tax ramifications and so that'll have a big impact on the choices that you make in what paths you start on it's much better to kind of think about those things earlier as opposed to later on trying to unravel unravel mm-hmm. things. And, and a, a final thought is for those people who are really want to kind of start to get up to speed on this, I'd recommend kind of reading a lot of my blogs and, uh, and media posts. You'll find a lot of good information in there. Thanks, David. Um, we'll see you guys next time. Give the video a like and comment below, and we'll see you in the next show. And thanks for putting up for my